0: Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. As we look at this chapter in its entirety, And as we see this chapter, we're going to see lost and found, but then answer the question, hopefully, who's lost, but also who's looking? Who's lost and and who's looking? It's going to be three stories that Jesus tells about something being lost and found. Two of the stories we've already read in Luke chapter 15, that is the story of the lost sheep, then there's a story of the lost coin, And then the last story is perhaps one of the most famous parables out of the Bible, the story of the prodigal son. I want to share with you what the author of Luke, what Luke himself says, is the reason Jesus tells these parables. And it is in verses 1 and 2. Listen to it carefully as we read it together. It says, The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near... To hear him. Well, who is him? Well, that's Jesus. What Luke is setting the stage up for is this the tax collectors, that is, people who were collecting taxes for Rome, that you may probably already know most people in the first century did not like, they despised them, they were not seen as good people. The tax collectors and the sinners, that is, people that were looked at as you are, you, you're a bad person, you do sinful things. These are the people, it says, they're drawing near to hear Jesus. Sounds pretty good, right? We're we're God's people. We're supposed to be happy when people draw near to Jesus. Well, Luke sets up the story by saying that's exactly what happened. But verse 2 is a little bit different, isn't it? The Pharisees and the scribes, who Jesus has already been talking to and having conversations with as you read through the Gospel of Luke, their response to that is that they grumbled, it says, and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This is very important for us to understand all the stories. Sinners are coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees are mad. They're grumbling. They are not happy that this is happening. This already happens in Luke chapter 9. We won't turn there, but I'll just remind us that back in, back in Luke, a little bit earlier in the, in the book, Luke says that the, tax, that the Pharisees are doing the same thing. They're grumbling, and Jesus makes the statement, well, it is not the, the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. Uh, kind of along the same lines, they're grumbling again, and through that, they tell three stories. When I think about stories of things that are lost, I can't help but go to one of the real stories of lostness in my own life, or my own family's life, rather. When I was about 10 years old, my family, we, lived, we grew up in South Carolina. I, I, I grew up there and lived most of my life there before the Army, pastored there. But as we were living in South Carolina, I was a 10-year-old boy, and we made a trip to Washington, D.C., like a lot of people do. And I'm the oldest of three, so at the time I was 10, my sister was 7, and my brother was 4 years old. And we went to, like a lot of people would take their kids to, the, the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History. Very exciting for children, right? Dinosaur bones and all that stuff. Well, I've heard this story told many times by my parents but as I, as I hear them tell the story, and I remember in my own recollections, I do remember going to this museum. I've been there recently. I just moved from there several months ago. Went into the museum. We all got in. You, go, you know how it is. Even back then in the 80, late 80s, it was full of people and all that stuff. All of a sudden, my parents, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was my mother who initially realized, as mothers do, as they keep up with their children, I have, we have lost John. The four-year-old John. This is what I would call a significant emotional event. My mother, who's not normally very outspoken, she's a quiet person, is, is, has a lot of energy behind finding this four-year-old, son, four-year-old boy. She's asking people, have they seen him? My dad gets, kicks into gear and they start all this stuff and they're moving around and they're looking frantically, they're going up to people, where's my son? Have you seen this little boy? He has really light blonde hair, he's about this tall, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. At the time, I probably didn't understand how serious it was, but I was at least cognizant enough to know this was a big deal to my parents and we got to find my brother. So we we're looking and finally, just in case you were wondering, don't worry, he was found. He's a 36-year-old man now, and he's doing great, so don't worry. We found him that day. He He was looking at the dinosaur bones, but we found him. Well, we care about something. It's a big deal when it's lost, and we find it. I want you, as we walk through this story this morning, I want you to pay attention as we talk through these stories to a couple of things. Notice the value of the things that are lost. Notice the response each time something that was lost is found. But then at the end, we're going to see that this whole thing ties back into the Pharisees who were grumbling that sinners were coming to Jesus. Well, let's go back through and walk through the stories. The first story, in verse 3 of Luke 15, it says, what if one of you had a hundred sheep? If he's lost one, what would you do? You, You leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one and search until what? Until you find it. What does it say happens when he finds the sheep? He says, you'd you'd lay it on your shoulders, right? Now, let's imagine this picture of somebody carrying a sheep. And it says he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And then when he comes home, what does he do? He calls together all his friends. And he says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see something lost, it gets found, and the answer is there's joy because something of value has been found. Now the second story. talks about a woman who has ten silver coins. We don't know all the details about the ten silver coins. Maybe it was her inheritance, maybe it was her life savings, But apparently it was very important. It says she has ten, and what happens? She loses one. What does she do? She lights a lamp. Modern day, we turn the lights on, get a flashlight, right? She sweeps the house, and she seeks diligently until she finds it. I remember when I was serving on a deployment in Iraq, I lost something very important. For those of you who know, it was my... Common access card, otherwise known as a CAC card, my identification. You can't get on a computer without that thing. Uh, during the time they had me, I was at Camp Taji Iraq, and I was also the chaplain who was traveling to do other provide services and do ministry at other bases. So if I didn't have the CAC, I couldn't even get on the get on the transportation, the, the helicopters to go somewhere else. It was a significant event and myself and uh, Specialist Ludwig at the time, he, he, he served together, we served together as our unit ministry team there, I said, I need your help, we, we've got to find this CAC, and we turned the office upside down. I went back to my room, I had it turned upside down, went back to our, they gave us a little, in our chapel we had an office, and, and sure enough, praise the Lord, Specialist Ludwig saved me a lot of heartache, because they, they didn't make the new cat card there at my base, I would have had to go somewhere else, So I would have took a whole day, and then just being embarrassed or being the chaplain who loses the one thing you kind of have to keep up with and he 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 looked in the trash can and he found it it just kind of fell in it just kind of fell in there that's what i think about when i think of this woman just just turning the house upside down i just imagine flipping over the couch i imagine opening up the cushions maybe you've been there with some things too well in her case she has 10 coins she loses one well she finds it and what's the response to her finding it joy here it is again Rejoice with me, she says in verse 9, for I have found the coin I've lost. Just so I tell you, she, he says in verse 10, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus makes the same statement again, doesn't he? And the value of this goes a little higher. Somebody has a hundred sheep, you lose one. I know the shepherd cares for the sheep in, in this story, but, but it's one sheep, but he searches. He searches. Then it becomes a tenth in in the story of the coins. She loses one-tenth of her money. That's, That's a lot. She finds that there's joy. Well, Jesus ups the value, I think, in the last story. And many of your Bibles will have a heading, and it may say the parable of the prodigal son, and that's what we typically know it as. But I agree with several commentators who said a better title might be the parable of the prodigal son's plural. Well, let's look at this story together. Verse 11, and he said, here's Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, yeah, I'm a son, and when you die, I'm going to get the inheritance. I really don't want to wait for you to die, Dad. I want the inheritance now. So what happens? It says he divided his property between them. Look at verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Some translations say riotous living. Now I don't know what all kinds of things this young man got into, but you know as well as I do, any of us can, if we're looking for trouble, we can find it. If we're looking for ways to blow through a whole lot of money, we can find it. It just simply says reckless living. I'll let our imaginations decide what kinds of things he gotten into, but he totally left his family, and it says he did this reckless living, and he just went on a spending spree, no doubt in many different kinds of behaviors as he left his father. Now, it says this, When he had spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine rose in that country. And he began to be in need. He spent it all. Reckless living, wasteful living. He has nothing left. And then a famine comes up. In the first century, a famine would have been a big deal. He's not just going to be able to go to the store and get more. He has no money. He has no means. Well, what happens? Verse 14 just simply ends by saying, He began to be in need. In other words... Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He was at a point where he wasn't getting even his daily bread. Verse 15, here's what he did. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This is a Jewish audience. This is Jesus' way of saying this young man has come to the point that is so low, he is going to surround himself with an animal that the Old Testament taught the Jewish people not even to be around. That's how low he is. Verse 16 says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He was so hungry he would be willing to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one, it says, no one gave him anything. We would call this today maybe rock bottom, at the end of his rope. Well, what does he do? Verse 17 just simply says he came to himself and he said this, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger? Here's what he says he's going to do. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He's preparing his speech. This is his rehearsal for his speech today. He says, verse 19, I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Now watch this. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Now watch, here's the same pattern that we just saw in the other two stories. Lost, found, right? And joy. When he was a long way off, the father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and and kissed him. I want to point out a couple of things there when you think about this father. As I read it, the implication of the story is he saw this young man while he was a long way off. I imagine a father who's already looking. By the way, God is always looking for his people, for his children to return back to him. I've got good news today. If you know somebody that you're just desperately praying for to come back to God, God's waiting, he's looking. If you're that person who's walked away from God, guess what? He's looking. That's the Heavenly Father that we have. And this father is excited. Just that verse says that he ran and embraced him and kissed him. It says that he ran. That's a big deal in the first century because it would not have been appropriate or, or dignified for a, for, a, for a man of the first century in this part of the, part of the world to run. It would have just not have been very dignified. They, they wore the robes and you've got to gird your loins and get ready and run. In the military, we do PT, and running's kind of part of what we do. But in the first century, to run into normal day-to-day affairs would have, been, would have been undignified. It wouldn't have been appropriate for a man. When I read this, I can't help but think, this is a father who's so excited about what was lost being found. He throws all, that, all the cooth and all the appropriateness out of the window because none of that pales in comparison to the importance of the fact that my son, who was lost, is now found. Who could, who could be any happier than that? Well, it says he embraced him, he kissed him. And then the son begins his prepared speech. He says it in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you, and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. The father just cuts him off. It says the father said to his servants, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And I'm going to stop right there because I want to recap what we all just read together. When you look at Luke chapter 15, you see a pattern, don't you? You see a hundred sheep. One's lost. What does that good shepherd do? He goes out and finds it. And what does he do as a result of finding the lost? He's happy. He rejoices. Second story the woman with ten coins. One's lost. What does she do? She searches. She tears the place upside down. She finds it. She's happy. She's rejoicing. Every time the value gets a little higher. This time it's human life. Two sons. One was lost. He squandered his estate and he was at the bottom of the barrel. End of his rope. He repents. Remember what Jesus said about the other two stories? He said there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Well, finally, in the third story, he gives us an example, I think, of a sinner who repents. I know I've done wrong. I'm going to go to my father. And the father forgives him. The father's actually looking for him. And the father brings him back to the fold. And not only does he do so, he does so without a lecture. The first thing he does is he welcomes him and throws a party but the story doesn't stop there this story has a twist in it that ties all the way back to the first statement that Luke makes and that is that these stories were told after the Pharisees grumbled that Jesus was eating with sinners Jesus is setting up these stories to make a powerful point point. and The ending is a twist that is absolutely masterful, as if we'd expect anything different from our Lord, but it is absolutely masterful the way he makes his point. Just a few weeks ago, we were celebrating Christmas, and one of my favorite movies to go back and watch is the story of A Christmas Carol. And most of the stories, if you read the original book, and most of the movies depict that the ending is Tiny Tim is the, is the poor, sickly child of Bob Cratchit, and at the end, as Ebenezer comes to the air of his ways, and he sees Christmas, and he's generous, what does Ebenezer Scrooge do in the story? He goes to Bob Cratchit, Merry Christmas, gives him all this stuff, gives him a raise, and says, oh, by the way, we're going to have, um, we're gonna have um, the best doctors for Tiny Tim, and he's going to live, and, and, and you're kind of led to believe that things kind of end happy. Well, wouldn't it be strange... If Charles Dickens had continued to write the story, and in the story you found out that Tiny Tim got better, and this group over here was angry that the little boy got better. Wouldn't it be absurd to think of a group of people that would say, oh, wow, at the end of Christmas Carol, Tiny Tim gets the doctors he needs, and he doesn't die as a child. He grows up, and everything's great. And over here you've got a crowd who's just angry and mad about it. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That's the point that Jesus is making. And my encouragement to us is as we read it together, let's begin to think where you and I fit into all these characters and these points in this story. Let's read the rest of the story. Now his older son was in the field. This one stayed home. He didn't go do any riotous living, no reckless living for this guy. He's there working. He's in the field, in fact. It says, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he hears what's going on. Verse 26. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. These many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, he wouldn't even call him his brother. He, but this son of yours, when he came, who's devoured your property with prostitutions, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. Jesus ends his parables by letting the Pharisees know, Pharisees, you who are grumbling about sinners coming to me, you are the older brother. You are the older brother. Did this older brother repent of his ways? I don't know. Jesus simply ends the story there to make his point. We we don't know how it ended. He's a made-up character for the story, right? As Jesus told his story. The real question is, how are you and I going to respond to this story? And as we... Think through this story as we think through the characters. I simply want to walk through the characters for the next few moments and us ask ourselves: who do we identify with in this story? There may be some here who find ourselves as the lost one. Maybe we've lost our way somewhere. Maybe we're the ones who have found ourselves in rebellion. Maybe we're the ones who are like the prodigal who at some point are. Finally, where we go, I'm now going to come to my senses. I'm going to go back to the Father. I think part of what Jesus is saying is that same Jesus who welcomes tax collectors and sinners, the same God who is looking down the road, the same shepherd who goes out and finds the sheep. For those of us who find ourselves in a place of rebellion or a place of being a prodigal, guess what? God's there for you. He's there to welcome you back. Into the fold, in fact, he may even be searching right now, and I imagine he is. Some of us may can identify with the Father a little bit. Maybe there's someone out there that you're kind of searching for. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's someone who you're praying for. My encouragement to you is this: God still searches for those who have went astray. I should too. God didn't give up on me. Uh, The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read it to you, and, and I pray it's a blessing. Paul said, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation, and he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You and I, God invites you and I to be a part of that group who is searching, that shepherd who is seeking, that woman who is searching for her coin, and that father who's looking. We know God is the ultimate one who does those things, but as his people, he calls us to keep looking and keep searching. But there's a third character in this story, isn't it? And that is that older brother. And you may say, well, how how could any of us be part of the older brother? But I think that's Jesus' point at the end here. Do we ever find ourselves saying to God, God, why'd you let all those good things happen to that person? That person's a bad person. Why did they get to get that prestige in our military culture? Why did they get promoted? They're not doing all the good things that I'm doing. (laughs) Beware of older brother mentality. In God's house, did you know that, that we could be people who attend church and attend chapel and still be far from God? I I warn us, don't be an inside outsider. In other words, don't be a Christian who shows up to chapel and kind of listens to to God's Word, but at the end of the day has this self-righteous attitude, and when God's doing a work over here, just kind of putting our noses up and saying, I don't know why we're happy about that. I'm going to be angry about it. I'm I'm not going to be thrilled when God changes people because those people are not good like I am. I'm the one who kept all the commandments. I'm the one. You see how I sound just like the older brother. My encouragement to us is to remember that the gospel, John Piper said this, listen to this statement, the gospel is not a help wanted sign. It's a help available sign. In other words, The gospel is not God saying, oh, I need you to work for me, like we hire somebody, right? Help available. The gospel says, I am dead in my sins, but God, who raised us up through Jesus Christ, he provided a way of salvation for sin. And in doing so, he calls us from darkness, as the Bible says in one place, to his marvelous light. And in doing so, we can be those who come to God just like the lost in this story, and we can be a part of helping point others to him. May we never be to the point where we say, look at all the things that I did. I'm so much better than these people over here. No, no, no. May we always say, God, I recognize my need for you. And in repentance, like that prodigal in this story, we turn to God and we hear God and we see God's forgiveness in our lives. That is our prayer for this day and for this week. How did this story end? We don't know. Jesus used it as an illustration, and they are fictional characters in his story. The more important question is, how is your story going to end? How is my story going to end? How will we put into practice the lessons from the prodigal sons, from a loving Heavenly Father? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the real question every time we look at your word is, what are we going to do with what you have said to us? And I pray that we would hear your word. I pray for those who need to turn to you, and maybe we find ourselves being a prodigal. God, may we turn to you in repentance. For those of us who are longing to see someone we love come back to you, or or we're, we're, we're like that Heavenly Father, God, we're looking down the road, God, we know you're always in the business of bringing people back to yourself. May we also be a part of looking and seeing where you're going to reach people and minister to their lives. And may we be patient as you are. May we be loving and gracious as you. May we offer forgiveness as you do. And God, help us to rejoice anytime you're working in someone's life. God, may we never get to a point where we think we've arrived Well, we think because we've kept all the commandments and we've checked all the blocks that we're somehow a better status of Christian than others, God. But rather, let us always humbly recognize we are your children simply because of your grace in our life and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, help that to be our heart's cry so that as we see your work all around us, we, like you teach us in your word, can rejoice when the lost are found. May it be so in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.